All right, well, apparently while I was out, somebody got into the kitty cat treats. Now, I'm gonna go look at the suspect. What? Did you do this? Denver, did you do this? Denver, was this you? Denver, you won't look at me. Did you? What? Denver, did you do this? Look at me. Come here. Let me see. Let me see your face. Oh my goodness, Denver, you didn't. Got in the kitty cat's treats while I was gone. I can't believe it. Are you sorry about it? Okay. You know. What do you do when you feel guilty? You know, what do you do? Denver there, the dog. She felt like, or is it a he? I can't ever remember. But Denver has their own YouTube channel. Uh, so go ahead, follow Denver. But Denver the dog feels very guilty. And when Denver the dog feels very guilty, this dog doesn't want to be seen. Have you ever not wanted to be seen because you've felt guilty? I have felt guilty before. And in case you don't know, my name's Danny. I'm the campus minister here at Hope Ames. And I get to hang out, with Ky- hang out at Cairo. So it's just really good to be with you guys here Tonight on Ash Wednesday. Uh, If you don't know what Ash Wednesday is, we're going to get to it. But a lot of it sometimes has to do with guilt. And what do you do with guilt? When you have guilt, do you maybe not know what to do? I tell you this. When I'm dealing with guilt, sometimes that is when I feel most clueless on what to do. Sometimes guilt shows up because of funny stuff. Um, It's just kind of like unfortunate situations. And you try to cover it up, but you really can't. I was officiating a wedding Um, a couple of summers ago, and usually the couple will have some sort of unity ceremony. Sometimes they have a unity candle to show that the two have become one. Other times they have unity sand, and they pour into one another, uh, or the the sand into one another. Other times they have unity blood. That's super weird, but (laughs) never seen that one yet. Um, But this one particular one, they had a unity painting. Um, And and so... The goal was they were going to take paint from two separate jars, and together from those two separate jars, I'm sorry, they were going to make one painting. Uh, They had no artistic skill whatsoever. (laughs) And so I get there, and they're describing this to me, and they're like, all right, so when we're going to do the unity painting. And then I look at this one painting that's in the corner, and I say, well, hey, it can't be as bad as that, right? And they go, that was our practice painting. (laughs) And I had nothing to say. I just got quiet. I'm like, oh, no. And so then we get to the point in the message where I'm like, well, now these two will be partaking in a unity ceremony where they will be painting one picture from two jars. And I'm just standing on the side. I'm like, you know what I said. You know what I'm like? And then we get done, and I just have to cover it up. That's amazing. I mean, that last one, I mean, sure, that wasn't good. But that's amazing. They're like, no, that's the one that we did in the wedding. The last one was the one you insulted earlier. I can't get over it. You know, you just sometimes can't cover it up. When you were a kid and your parents told you, hey, it's time to clean your room, did anyone here ever just shove the clothes underneath their bed? 
And then the parents come up. If your parents are like my parents, they come up for inspection. And they check the room. And I'm like, please don't look under the bed. Please don't look under the bed. Please. This is a grown adult. They know to look under the bed. They look under the bed. They turn around. I'm still standing there. I'm like, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Guilt is a hard thing to deal with because the truth is, is that in a lot of modern circles, people will tell you you shouldn't deal with guilt. Guilt is something that you only deal with if you're immature or you haven't settled that part of your life yet. Uh, how many people will say, nobody can judge me, or maybe they even try to put a religious spin on it. Only God can judge me. Well, maybe only God's judgment counts, but the truth is, is I judge people all the time. I'm not saying it's right, but the truth is like sometimes we do. Like, we do deal with guilt, and I think it's okay to admit that. A hundred years ago, people were actually very okay with that. Psychology journals from a hundred years ago will tell you that people thought that guilt was actually a good trait to have. Not necessarily that you found yourself in a position of guilt, but if you were able to demonstrate that you felt guilt, it would show that you were human. It would show that you had some sort of emotional balance to recognize that what you had done was wrong. Frankly, if you never feel any guilt, you start to turn a little bit into a monster at times, and you're hard to be around. Have you ever been around a person who refuses to admit that they're wrong? It's hard to be around that person. It's okay to deal with guilt and to feel guilty. I read um, in Psychology Today, because you know I'm just so cultured like that, um, but I was reading in Psychology Today that 70, over 70% 70 of kids feel guilt based on how they feel like their parents see them. And if you think that's tough, over 90% of parents feel guilty based on how they feel like they've raised their kids. It doesn't mean that it's always this overwhelming sense of guilt, but sometimes it's just, I didn't do it right. It's okay to admit that. The average person spends five hours feeling a sense of guilt every single week. Five hours. And sometimes it's like, I've spent my entire week feeling guilty over something that I've done. It's not fun to admit our guilt, because the truth is, is we are not actually that great at dealing with our guilt. But guilt does need to be dealt with, because guilt shows up because either we did something wrong, someone else did something wrong, sometimes it's the things that we didn't do that we felt like we should have done, and we think that we still could do, and so we live in that guilt. And if someone doesn't deal with the guilt, well, then whatever caused that guilt just, to con just gets to continue to linger around, and that's not right. And that's not good. It's okay to admit guilt. It's okay to talk about guilt. It's okay to feel guilt. And it's okay if you don't know what to do when you feel guilty. I want to encourage you tonight to turn to God when you do feel guilty. In the same way that this author, of the author in the Bible from the book of Psalms writes this in Psalm chapter 139, it says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Just inviting God. I mean, if I put every single, person, every, single person, every single person's name on this screen next week, and underneath of it had a resume of everything you've done wrong in your life, would you come? I wouldn't. I'd be gone. Uh, the guy who created um, Sherlock Holmes, he was a smart guy, and he kind of tapped into this. And so he wrote a telegram for 12 of his friends, 12 of his friends who seemed to be very noble people. And the telegram said this, all has been found out, flee at once. Within 24 hours, all 12 of his friends had fled the country. Crazy, right? Because it's like, well, if everyone knew everything about me, I wouldn't want to show up into those places. And this author is saying to God, this author believes in God, a God who could see into his heart 
and see everything about him and is just welcoming it. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Know everything about me. Point out anything that offends you. Can you imagine talking with that kind of confidence? Where does this author get that kind of confidence? Well, on the next slide, and just a little bit earlier in this psalm, it says this, you saw me before I was born. How precious are your thoughts about me? Oh God, they can't be numbered. I can't even count them. When I wake up, you're still with me. I mean, it's kind of bragging, isn't it? God just loves me. I'm chosen by God. God loves me. God's with me. Yeah. I mean, like it's a little obnoxious until you see the heart behind it. The heart behind it is, I know that I've fallen short. I know that I've messed up. I know that I have these things inside of me, but God, I see the way that you see me. When you feel guilty and you don't know what to do about it, before doing anything, and a lot of people will tell you to do a lot of stuff, a lot of people will say, it's your job to work it out. You need to attack it head on. The first thing that I think you need to do when you feel guilty and you don't know what to do is see the way God sees you. That's what we're talking about tonight. What to do? See. See the way that God sees you. Even if you can't look at yourself in that mirror and say, I see myself the way that God sees myself. No, just see God and see God looking at you. My goodness. He saw you before you were born. He's crazy about you. God's with you. You can have that kind of confidence. It's not arrogant. It's security. It's honesty. Wouldn't it be nice to be that free? To be able to say, like, yeah, I'm an open book. Now I get it. There's a certain level um, of health that you should maintain and not open up every single page of your book to every single person. Totally get that. But wouldn't it be nice to not have to live with that facade of like, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not guilty about anything. No, we are, we are guilty of some stuff, and it's okay to be honest about who we are. In the book of Romans chapter 5, there's a guy named Paul, and he writes this. He says, when we were utterly helpless. Well, that's a nice way to start off a passage. When we're utterly helpless. What does he think about himself? Does he think he's pathetic? Does he think he's a loser? Do you think he doesn't deserve any friends whatsoever? No, but he's being honest. When we were utterly helpless. Look, I gotta be honest here. I'm dealing with guilt and I don't know how to deal with it. Help me. Have you ever tried to deal with a problem and you can't seem to work it out? I told you guys last week that the reason why I'm wearing sandals in the winter is because I've got blisters on my feet and it's been frustrating. The problem is when you're wearing sandals, you're not wearing shoes a lot, the sandals slip off. Sometimes when you walk in an attic that's with an unfinished floor, like here in the link, uh, where we have Kairos, like problems happen, right? So a few weeks ago, uh, we've got a class on Monday nights. <clears throat> um, it's called Alpha. And I was teaching at Alpha that night, and I had to give about a 30-minute talk, but I was doing some stuff in the attic beforehand um, because I live up there. But anyway, um, no, uh, <laughs> I want to. But anyway, um, so I'm walking around the attic upstairs, and my sandal kind of flies off my shoe or off my foot. And then as I step on to the wood that's unfinished upstairs, I step with a little bit of force, and more force than I wanted to step. And into my heel goes essentially a yardstick. 
I mean, just absolute immediate sheer, like, you know? I'm so glad that you can't hear what's set up there um, because there were people of the church in this building at that time. I mean, I'm just, oh, I'm in so much pain. Immediate pain. Now, okay, of course, like, the truth is probably like a, you know, little splinter that big. But my, my brilliant mind thought, okay, well, I'll just walk it out. You can't walk stuff out that it's inside your heel. And so I'm like, okay, once, once, you know, I look down, there's a puddle of blood and, you know, I can't do it, right? So instead of just dealing with the problem that was going to keep on coming up, I decided I was going to roll up another sock and put it inside of my sock that I was wearing, and then it could just be a pad, you know, and it would absorb the pain. It just put it in there farther. It made it worse. And so I come downstairs. My fiance, Abby, was here. And she sees me cowering. It's not my, you know, uh, proudest moment in front of Abby. But, but I'm walking. I'm like, ah. <laughs> love me, woman. You know. She's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, nothing. I'm fine. I got stabbed in the foot with a floor. You know. She's like, what's in your sock? I'm like, another sock. <laughs> and uh, she goes, take your sock off. Um, so as people are walking into the building to get ready for this class, I am on the counter, laying on my back with my sock off, and, and Abby ripping wood out from my foot. I'm screaming. She's telling me to shut up. And everybody's thinking there's a serious problem with our soon-to-be marriage. She had to get it out. She had to get it out. And the truth is, is sometimes when we try to just put guilt off to the side and say, I don't need to deal with it. I'm not helpless. I can do this on my own. It's like walking around with a sliver in your foot. Like, it's just a, just a tiny little piece of wood. But it ruins every single step. I mean, it just digs at you. And you need to get it out. The truth is, is sometimes as Christians, when we deal with guilt, sometimes it's humanity. When we deal with guilt, we just try to deal with the symptoms. We'll stop feeling sad. We'll just have better self-image. Well, maybe we can get down to the root of the problem. And it's, I don't, I don't know how to fix my guilt. Like, I'm not able to do that. It's a hard place to be, but it's also a liberating place to be. It's free to be in that space to say, this is not on me anymore. God knows what we're made of. I mean, he made us. Back in the Psalms, it says this. It says, uh, for God knows how weak we are. Thank you, God. <laughs> Appreciate it. He remembers we're only dust. And you can read that as an insult. Or you can also read that and see how much God cares for you. It says he remembers that you're dust. Today's Ash Wednesday, and if you so choose, at the end of this service, we'll have people come down, we'll have communion. Before you receive communion, we'll take some ashes, and we, we rub it into the shape of a cross on your forehead, and we say, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And it doesn't sound like a very promising or nice thing to say. But it's actually pretty tender. God is saying, I know that you're fragile. I know that you're dust. Like this dust right here, right? It's actually black sand, but 
it looks cooler. And we don't want you to sneeze. This dust, like, it can pretend to be a mountain all that it wants. <laughs> you know, who's got the sniffles? Anybody? Allergy season? Okay. Is it? I've never had allergies. I don't have those problems. Welcome to Kairos. All right. <laughs> God says, I remember that you're made from dust. Look, dust can pretend like it's a mountain, but that mountain's going to fall pretty fast. And frankly, a mountain is only made from dirt, rocks, sticks, leaves, and other things like that. That, too, will someday crumble. God says, no, I know that you're dust. But I love you. And I care for you. But sometimes the dust tries to act like the mountain. Sometimes the dust tries to take a place that it's not supposed to take. Sometimes, as Christians, when we try to talk about sin, we get so complicated about it. What is sin? What are the sins? Give me the list of things that I need to avoid. Look, sin at its base level is simply saying, I get God's seat. I get to control my life. I am dust that's pretending to be a mountain. And even underneath of that, it is, I don't really believe that God cares enough about me to do what's best for me, so I'm going to take control. I'll deal with it. You ever taken the place of someone and you know it's not yours and then you realize it's not yours and how you feel after that experience? When I was in my first year of seminary, I was with my roommate, Matt, and we were um, in a really big hurry. We were driving to the mall. We had to get in and we had to get out really fast. Um, and the parking lot was packed. And we get to the front of the parking lot. And we're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. There's an open parking spot. This is amazing. We check for like the blue signs. There's not a handicap sign. We're like, okay, we can park here. This is great. So we go inside, we get our stuff, we come out, and we're leaving. As we're backing out, there's a woman in her car that's right next to us, and she is just glaring. I mean, just glaring. I'm like, what is her problem? As we continue to back out, I see that there's a sign that's actually just a little bit lower to the ground, and it said, reserved for expecting mothers. <laughs> At the time, I was a 23-year-old man. I was with my roommate, Matt, and we were not expecting. <laughs> and we just hid our faces and drove away. Because we tried taking the place, unintentionally, albeit, we were taking the place of, uh, of something that wasn't ours. But here's the really cool thing. God says, and it says in the Bible, like, we're utterly helpless. God says, I know that you're dust. I know that you're fragile. I know that you can break really easily. But let's go back to Romans and see how that sentence finishes. The one that starts with, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time for us sinners. I know that you're fragile. I know that you can break. And so I've come to deal with the things that you can't deal with. See, we have these problems. They just keep on sparking up. Walking through life with a splinter in your foot. Pretending like, you're, pretending like you can be a mountain when in all actuality, I know that I'm dust. Maybe sometimes the guilt is something that drives me into saying, do not, don't you criticize me. Don't you criticize me because if they do criticize me, I'll break. And I'll just feel guilty about all the things that they've said about me and I can't handle that. God says, let me deal with it. Let me come into your life. 
This problem that we have that makes us not want to be around God, this guilt thing. I mean, guilt wrecks relationships, doesn't it, if it's not dealt with? Do you like being around people that you feel guilty about? Do they like being around you? Do you like being around people who rightfully feel guilty about what they've done to you? Of course, it's the same thing with God. It's hard to be around God when we feel so guilty around God and we feel like we have to be closed off around God, but God says, no, I came for you. We have this problem and God's made it his purpose. And he's so careful with it and he's so loving with it and he's so intentional about it that it's as if our problem is his problem. I mean, look, he could walk away into the grand scheme of infinity. He could just go off and say, well, <laughs> you were passengers on a train and you just went by and that's fine. And yet he made it his purpose to show up, do something about it, to do something with the fact that we're dust. You know, it's amazing. This was a complicated thing for God to do. I mean, God says, let there be light and there's light. God says, let there be life and there's life. But God does not just say, let there be forgiveness and there's forgiveness. I mean, imagine if a terrorist is standing in front of a judge and the judge says, hey, it's all good. We'd want to have the judge's head. Absolutely not. That's not okay. That's not just. And if God is the judge of the world, we don't want God to look at us and just say, hey, you know what? The evil's fine. Let it just go ahead and linger around forever. No, we don't want that. But God comes and he deals with that. And he deals with that in a way that doesn't hurt us, but cares for us. And even though we are as fragile and formable as dust, he holds us together. It's this beautiful thing. See, I think part of the reason why we don't like uh, uh, thinking of ourselves as dust or thinking of ourselves as guilty is because guilt and dust and ashes, they're messy. And you know how it feels when somebody messy comes into your life. Did anybody else, um, anybody else have just this just real strong opinion that other people don't belong on your pillow? You know what I mean? When I was a freshman in college, um, it was like open door policy. You know, everybody always left their dorm room open, and I don't know if they still do that anymore, um, but we always left our dorm room open. And sometimes people would come in, and they would just get this wrong sort of feeling of possession of your room. And if I'd be sitting there, and someone goes, hey, is this seat taken? I'm like, that's not a seat. That's my bed. Perfect. And they lay down. I'm like, that's disgusting. That's messy. I don't want your mess in my life. I say, I don't want your mess in my life, but the truth is, is we kind of know deep down there's a mess in our life. And maybe it's not the mess that you've caused, but it's a mess that somebody else has put on you. Oh, it's messy, isn't it? Matthew chapter 5, you heard about this in the reading. Jesus is talking about a messy life. It says this, God blesses those who are poor. Poor, bankruptcy, that's pretty, that's pretty messy, okay. Those who mourn, okay, I'm sad, I'm, in, I'm dealing with sorrow, I don't like that. Those who are humble or those who have been humbled, perhaps humiliated, those who hunger, and yet those who have mercy and those who have hearts that are pure for God. It's messy. It's so messy. Sometimes we try to cover it up, we try to put it under the bed, we try to pretend like it's not there. But hear me on this, God loves the mess. Not just for the sake of a mess. He doesn't cause the mess. But dust is messy. And God loves the dust. And he shows up in it. That word blessed, it doesn't seem like um, you could be blessed if you're in that situation. 
frankly, people who walk around and say, I'm blessed, when it's very clear that their life does not seem blessed, it seems superficial. It's not super popular anymore, but at least a few years ago, anytime that somebody would post a picture on Facebook or Instagram or wherever, they would always hashtag it with hashtag blessed. You know me, I'm just hashtag blessed. And it felt like the phoniest thing in the world. And I was a critic of it. Like, you're not hashtag blessed, you're hashtag sad. <laughs> and I'm hashtag bitter, you know? But this word bless, in the Greek, it's, it's this, it's makarios. Everybody say makarios. This is the inspiration for that song. I'm kidding. It's not. But it helps you remember. You won't forget the word makarios. Makarios, it does mean blessed, but it also means with God. You know, material blessings are not a sign of God's approval on your life. Situational blessings, friendship blessings, social blessings, economic blessings, whatever it is, that's not, that's not the sign of God's approval on your life. The sign of God's approval on your life is that God shows up and he gets with you. It's that God loves your mess and he's come into it. See, blessed is not simply saying I'm happy and I feel good about stuff right now. It is not that I'm experiencing great fortune. It is I am in a state of existence where I'm in relationship with God and nothing can take that. Because yes, well, the good things in my life, they are dust too. They may come and they may go. The bad things in my life, the things that are hurting me and the people that are hurting me and the, and the, and the resentment that I feel, these things too, they will come and they will go. But I will always have God. I will always be in the state of existence in which I am in a relationship with my creator. Nothing can take that from me. And that's where the security comes from. That's where the confidence comes from. That's where, hey, you know, if you criticize me, you're probably right about it. But guess what? I'm blessed. I'm loved. I'm with God. Because he showed up in my mess. Jesus goes on and he says this. He says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. You really want to hurt me? You really want to ruin me? Go for it. Because the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is given freely. Okay, he goes on again. He says, I want you to go ahead and know that God blesses you and people mock you. People will persecute you and they'll say all sorts of evil things about you. And when they do that, rejoice. Be glad. Be glad about it. God sits in a position, like his seat, the seat that we sometimes try to take. Perhaps we try to take that seat because we think it's just easy, right? Control the world. He's got the whole world in his hands. It's just easy, right? It's a song. He's the sustainer of the universe. And he could stay there, but he doesn't. Not everybody's a big fan about God getting close. Now, the evil in this world does not want God of pure goodness to come to you. So, of course, when God showed up as Christ, he's persecuted. Yeah, he's hurt. Dragged all the way to his death. He's like, look, if people, if people are persecuting you, if they're hurting you, if they're making your life messy, and if the guilt isn't even on you, but it's on somebody else, nice, you're with me. Isn't that neat? Sometimes we get to that position where we start to say to ourselves, like, you know what, I, I, I didn't ask for any of this. I didn't ask for the pain that I'm dealing with. I didn't cause any of it. 
Why am I living here? Why is this happening to me? I didn't ask for this. And yet there was one who entered into those situations, who experienced those things, and he did ask for it. And he did bring it upon himself because he didn't have to do it. He showed up. He said, bring it on because I refuse to exist in a state where I'm not in relationship with us. Let's hop back to Romans one more time here. Paul, he says this. He says, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Like if somebody sits on your bed and you know that they're the cleanest person in the world. I mean, if Mr. Clean himself comes into your room and rubs his shiny head on your pillow, <laughs> you're like, great, it's probably disinfected. But when messy people show up, but God showed his love for us by sending Christ to die for us when we were strangers, when we were enemies. Look, it's one thing. It is one thing to show up and, 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 and show your sacrificial love for somebody and when they're good with you. But to choose to do that for people who don't actually benefit you, and yet you choose to rejoice in them and to bless them. I mean, that's different, right? It's like I'm, God's looking at us. He's like, I'm not even afraid of your mess. And I sit there, and maybe I'm sitting in my room in college, and I'm kind of like grossed out by somebody who sits on my bed. But the truth is, is I, I have a reason why. Uh, I'm kind of grossed out by germs, and it started in high school. And high school is, I think, maybe one of the first times where I realized, like, just how dusty this world is. Let's go back to Psalm again in chapter 139. Again, this, or excuse me, 103, it says, He knows how weak we are, and he remembers that we're only dust. He remembers we're only dust. He cares about us. I came to a quick realization how gross the world can be. I was on the wrestling team. I've told you this before, and I contracted some nasty skin infections. Was anybody in here a wrestler? Okay. Wow. <laughs> Sweet, let's fight. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Because um, I could totally take any of you. Um, no. But I was on the wrestling team, and, and I contracted these just disgusting skin infections. And that's common for wrestlers, but, but there was this time when I got these just gross, awful infections on my forehead. And I say infections, plurally, intentionally. I mean, it was gross. And because there were multiple skin infections at one time, they couldn't quite figure out how to treat it. I mean, it was nasty, right? I won't show you a picture of this because it's awful. I do have a picture of it. If you really want to see it, let me know. Show and tell. You know, and it's crazy because I was very, very aware of what was on me. I mean, it hurt. It hurt so bad. I had one of them. It's called MRSA. It's just like this skin, flesh-eating disease. Or just, just feel, I mean, anytime I raise my eyebrows, I mean, it just feels like knives are digging through my skin. I'll stop. I'll stop. It's gross. This was in the wintertime. And eventually, the skin infection did pass. The wrestling season ended. I was still messed up. I stayed messed up for a while. I'm not kidding when I tell you I didn't touch my forehead for two years. Like, germophobia is a real thing. Specifically in that winter, I was washing my hands so hard that I lost the skin on the back of my hands. I just, I'm, just, I'm gross. It was gone. 
I looked clean, but inside I felt like a mess. And sometimes we live our lives like that. We just walk through life, and even though we've been declared as clean and declared as beautiful and declared as lovely, we're like, mm, mm, nope. Maybe for you, it's not so much about covering up the guilt. Maybe for you, it's about, I won't let go of the guilt. I won't let go of the mess that all my dust has caused. Remember, I was with my dad one night. It's like an intervention moment. This is like one of those moments you see in a sitcom between a father and a son. It's like, Danny, I see you've been washing your hands a lot. Something like that. I don't know. Like, what's, what's going on, man? You're missing out on life. What are you doing? I'm like, I still feel disgusting. I still feel like there's a big old mess on my forehead. I feel like if I touch it, or if I touch anything else, or if anyone touches me, something's gonna get infected. And my dad's like, hey, come here, come here, come here. Like, what? I had like this long skater hair, and so he, I'm like, what are you doing? He didn't punch me. He put his hand on my forehead. I should make that really clear. My dad is a loving man. He's some of your pastor. He touched my forehead and he like rubbed it. He's like, I'm not afraid of your skin. I'm not afraid of your mess. Like I said, that was over the winter time. This was about in February and that was happening a week later. It was Ash Wednesday. Like I said, Ash Wednesday is this tradition in churches where people come forward and they get ashes on their forehead. And I'd been actually dreading it for a couple of weeks. But suddenly I had this renewed confidence. My dad's the pastor and he's up at the front of the church and he's putting ashes on people's foreheads and I get to the front and he looks at me and I look at him and I'm like, just do it. <laughs> you know, when God touches us, he doesn't get infected but he infects us with his goodness. I mean, look at it. It's all over the Bible. When Jesus heals people, he touches people who are very diseased. But it doesn't mess him up. He messes up the disease. Whatever mess you've got in your life, whatever guilt you are carrying, let God mess it up. Oh, he loves the mess. And he loves you. When you read that verse, look, you're only dust. Know that it is God who is so carefully walking with you through every mess and holding you together. And he would go to any length to do it. We do this every single week and every single week, it just blows me away where I'm like, I, I can't believe I get to say these words. Christ said to us. So soak this in. Hear these words. When you hear these words, let your heart see the way that God sees you. We'll tell you, remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. 
And that includes like the great blessings in your life. That's like, oh, this is what I'm living for. Like those things are dust and to dust they will return. But also the messes in your life where it's really hard to walk through right now. Those things are dust and to dust they shall return. But the love of Jesus Christ and his relationship with you will last forever. And he handles you with something as fragile as dust, something that could fall apart at any given moment. He handles you that delicately. But the most important instruction I can give you tonight is that Jesus Christ himself invites you to do this. If you don't know what to do, come forward and see how God sees you.